Good morning. morning. I was just thinking about, uh, now that I'm getting older, I was thinking about, you know, one of the things that, uh, as far as teaching God's Word, that uh, I that I really have been feeling and, uh, and trying to head in that direction is to keep things simple. To make it as simple as possible, instead of having 20 points for you, if I gave you 20 points, how many do you remember? <laughs> but, you know, because I'm simple too, you know, that's staying, keep it simple, you know. And uh, so, so I kind of, what I kind of do is just to give you kind of a, let you in on how I kind of do this. I, I, I try to look in the past, try to find something that really, you know, should be the main thing and the, the most important point. I, mean, I might hit on some different points as I go along, but, but I kind of like try to boil it down just because, you know, uh, you know, if I had a page of notes here and, you know, I can't even remember a page of notes, right? If I have 20 po- points there, I'm not going to remember them, so how can I expect you to remember 20 points, right? So just so you know, I'm, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, trying to keep it simple not because you're simple, but because I'm simple, and I think uh, that, that you can grab onto something, hold on to something, and take it, take it with you, and, and uh, hopefully we learn that way. So last, uh, last time, our, our, uh, our theme, uh, last time I talked about not ashamed. Really, that's really what the, the message was all about, that we should not be ashamed. Paul was telling Timothy to not be ashamed to testify, to tell people about Jesus. And not be ashamed that Paul was a prisoner, that Paul was in prison for his faith. Nothing to be ashamed about. And in our walk, in our our life, our our commitment to Jesus, this world, you know, it's getting worse and worse where they're not really all that accepting of us where we're at with Jesus. But you know what the truth is, is that makes it more important for us to be not ashamed of our faith. Because the need is greater. The need is, is, is just larger. So the fact that, you know, that we know him and that, that we can tell people, I know him. Paul said it. I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him. So don't be ashamed. And that's really, you know, what... We looked at last week in our verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Can you turn with me, please, 2 Timothy chapter 1? Let's go ahead and turn back there. And, and uh, we're going to look at the, the middle section here. We kind of did last, last week, did, we did verses 8 and 12. And we're going to look at verses 9 uh, through 11 today. 9 through 11. Uh, how many of you ever seen the uh, program Emergency? <laughs> You're all crazy. <laughs> this this program, emergency. You know, it's usually it's usually like this, right? Usually, you know, you watch this program, and that's kind of what it is, right? You got a car that's hanging off the cliff, certain death if they go crashing over that. Now you can't really see that well in the picture, but there's a fence there that he kind of pushed right through, and he's about ready to go off the edge, and there's someone inside that car. This is a, this is a true story. 
emergency, of course, you know, they make up a lot of stories. But, you know, the, the interesting thing when you watch that, that show, right, they always get there in time, right? And they always somehow get there. These are my two heroes, these guys right here, right? You know these guys, right? These are the guys, they always get there in time. They always get there to save the guy that's about to go off the cliff. And they're the ones that usually have to, you know, the firemen are with them too, but they're usually the ones that have to get inside the car or get inside the burning building and grab the people and pull them out. Rescue 51, I love these guys. Emergency. I like the name too. They always, they're always saving people's lives, right? They're always saving people's lives. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, next slide, is that, that you and I are like that. There's, there just happened to be someone there that actually pulled the guy out of that difficult circumstance. You can see the fence here now. Pulled him out of that. You know, that's just a TV program. I know that. I know that, but... But you and I, we're, as human beings, we're in a, an emergency situation. The truth of it is that we are facing certain death. We are facing certain death, certain destruction. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Let's read our verses, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 9 through 11. It says here, it says, who saved us, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's what Paul says. He was appointed all three of those things, a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. And hopefully we kind of try to do all things. We try to hit all of those uh, as we go along because sometimes we need to hear that. A herald is somebody who shouts out the message. A teacher is someone who kind of helps to understand the message, right? The, the, the word that stuck out to me as I, as I looked at this passage here is the word saved. The word saved. And I want to talk about that because he has saved us. God has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the message of the gospel, to be saved. The interesting thing about it is that, that this, is, this is one of those words, right? One of these Christian words, right? that, you know, we kind of throw around. But I think, I think we need to understand that it's an important word, and I think it's, not, it's a word we don't need to be afraid of. Why? Because it's used like over a hundred times. Over a hundred times in the New Testament. So if it's used that many times, I think we need to like get a grip on it and, and get our minds wrapped around it and figure out that, that this is something that is central to the heart of the gospel, this idea about being saved, right? Are you with me so far? Can you say that word saved? saved. That's good. It wasn't that hard, was it? The, uh, the Greek word is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O, and... Uh, 
It means this. It means rescued from danger or destruction. I think I have it up there. One more. Rescue from danger or destruction. Deliver out of danger and into safety. That's what this word means, literally. To be rescued from danger or destruction. Now, real life, you know, is not like the television program. We know that. I know that. But you and I are facing danger and destruction. The whole human race is facing danger and destruction. It's certain. We're on the cliff. We're waiting to fall off that cliff. And, and the Bible tells us the wages of sin is what? Is death. It's certain. It's not like, well, maybe. No, it's a, it's a definite thing. And you and I, we are all sinners. Now, you say this is all such basic stuff, but could you tell your next-door neighbor what it means to be saved? You, or you just say, I'm saved, and he goes, yeah, yeah, okay. You're weird, too. You're saved from what? You see, I had to say, well, I'm saved, okay, but saved from what? And saved to what? I'm saved from death. I'm saved from destruction. I'm saved. I'm, I'm on that cliff. And you and I are all sinners. We have all sinned. It, it's not just, you know, those really bad people, the really bad person that lives down the end of the street there. We're all sinners. We all are facing this. You see, this is universal here. One of these universal truths. It's not one that we all want to accept, though. No, I'm not a sinner. I mess up every now and then. But James said, we read it the other night, that if you stumble at just one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it, you see. In God's sight, that's the way it is. It's either perfect, you are you know, going to do everything perfectly, or you're not. And how many of you can say, yeah, I've lived a perfect life? How many of you can, can honestly f say that? Say, well, you know. And you ask somebody that question, what will they answer you? Well, I've lived a pretty good life. No, 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 not pretty good life. How many of you lived a perfect life? Perfect life. Do any of your friends say that to you? I've lived a perfect life. And you go like, yeah, you've <laughs> you got problems, pal. You know, perfect life. Interesting thing, though, is, is that the Bible says that, that not only are we facing danger and destruction and death, but what does it say? We, we're already died. We're dead already. Doesn't it say that? Where does it say that? Anybody know? Test, testing? Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 2 says we are dead. In trespasses and sins. We are already dead in trespasses and sins. So this idea of death. And death ultimately is separation. Okay? Death is ultimately separation. To be separate. When someone dies, you are separated from them. And that's the ultimate uh, reality of separation. So this idea of, of being separated from God forever. You see, that's what hell really is. I'm not afraid to use the word hell, by the way. The people around me, I hear them using it all the time. Not correctly, but 
There is a place called hell. It, you know, the Bible talks about it's a literal place. But the worst thing about hell is this, that it is a separation from God forever and ever. Separated from God forever and ever. And so he's talking about that we're being saved from that separation, from, from death, being separated from God forever and ever. And God sent his son to offer us life. You see, to bridge the gap between us and him. He sent his son to make, to make it possible that we would not have to be separated. That's always been, and we see it in this passage here, it says his, his purpose and his grace. That's always been his purpose. In fact, doesn't it say it there? Before the beginning of time, before the earth was created, before the beginning of time, he, that was part of his purpose that you and I would have this opportunity to be saved. Now, part of the problem, of course, is that you know, we sometimes don't even think we need saving, right? And what's that called? Pride and self-sufficiency. We don't really think we need saving. And, and, and then the other part of his, is this, is that he talks about grace here, doesn't he? Look in verse, uh, uh, the last part of verse 9, it says, uh, because of his own purpose and grace, and this grace was given us. This idea of grace is that he's giving us something that we do not deserve, right? And then, uh, where is it? Uh, in verse uh, 9, the middle of it, he says, he's not because of anything that we have what? Done. Not because of anything that we have done. He saved us. Now, that's a problem. That's a problem. You say, what kind of problem is that? The problem is, is that we like to take credit for stuff. When was the last time you did something good and you didn't look around to see, just to make sure somebody kind of noticed that you did that? Now, you might do it a little bit, you know, on the sly. But, you know, we all like to, we all like to take credit for things, and that's part of our human nature. We want to take credit for it. But the truth of the matter is this idea of being saved, being rescued from danger, from destruction, from death, from hell, we cannot do anything to make that possible. We can't. He says it here, not because of anything we have done. We can't earn our way. We can't pay our way. Now, every other religion is a system of earning. Christianity is set apart from every other system of religion because it's completely based on what Jesus Christ did. That's a, that's a big difference. But for the human nature, and, and one, of our, one of the biggest sins that we have is pride, is that we like to take some credit. And the other half of that, the other side of that, is that we don't want to admit I don't want to admit that I can't do it. That's, a, that's like a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. I don't want to admit that I can't do it, that I can't live good enough, that I can't make it. I can't make God perfectly happy that he would 
take me into his family, you see. But God knew that, and that's why he said, well, I'm going to send my son to be the one to do it. Does that make sense? Are you, like, tracking with me here? It's unearned. We're saved by grace. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Different verses we're going to look at, though, this idea of grace. Because that's found also throughout the New Testament, this concept of grace. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 4 and 5. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by what? By grace you have been what? Saved. saved. It is by grace you have been saved. But see that he, he talks about us being dead in transgressions. We had, we had no way to do it, but God, because of his great love, and then jump down to verse 8. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. It's not by works. Why? Because we like to take credit so that we, we can't boast about it. We're not going to get to heaven and say, God, uh, you know, you and, you and I, yeah, I'll give you some credit. But, you know, I have to take some credit, too. You and I, we did a pretty good job to get me here, didn't we? And he'll say, we? Like, what part did you play again? All we're doing is receiving that gift. That's all that you and I are doing is receiving that, that gift, that gift that's freely. Next slide, please. Next one. Next one. There we go. And we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's a free gift that he gave to us, you see. Free. Free gift. Look at verse 9 again here back in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says that this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. As I've, as I've already said, his, his purpose and his plan was that we might be saved, that we might be delivered, rescued from destruction. You know, you may, have, you may have already received Christ and this is something in your life already, but what about your next door neighbor? What about the person you work with? What about your son, your daughter, your, one of your family members? What about them? Do they have any kind of purpose in this? Does God have any kind of purpose for them? Does God want to have something happen in their life? Well, I have to tell you that yes, he does. Yes, he does. Next slide. And next one there. It says that God wants all men to be what? Saved. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Does that mean that all will? So what's the deciding factor? What, what makes the difference? It's someone that's willing to say, I can't do it. I can't save myself. And look to the cross of Jesus for the salvation that only he can give. I can't do anything. Next slide. Going back to the beginning uh, of the life of Jesus, 
It says that she, that is Mary, will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. The, in the name Jesus, it means, it, it talks about, it's, a, it's the Greek version of the word Joshua. The name Joshua means saves, that, that Jehovah, that Yahweh saves. He will save his people from their sins. Next uh, slide in Matthew chapter 8, it says the disciples, uh, you know, they were freaking out. It says they went and they woke Jesus up and they said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. That's the place that you and I need to get to before we're going to get anywhere. When we think we're all set, we're all fine, we're never going to cry out to him. But they're in a boat, right? You know the story. They're in a boat and like it's like getting crazy. It's getting radical. It's, and they start to freak out and say, Lord, save us. For you and I to call out to him, that's, what, that's where it's at. That's the only thing we do. The next slide, it says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom... I am the worst, Paul said. That's why he came. He came to save us. So for us to be, again, ashamed of what Jesus came to do, ashamed of even the word saved, saved, that's what we are. I'm saved. I'm safe. I'm saved by the, by the cross of Jesus, by what he did for me. Can we crack a few windows in here, maybe? Let's get a little air. It's maybe... Uh... We, we're not going to start using AC yet, but... The weather's been so beautiful. To be saved from danger, to be saved from destruction, to save from death. Look in verse 10, it says that he has destroyed death and he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has destroyed death. The word there means that, that it, he breaks the power of it. He breaks the power of death. He takes away its effect. Because we still have death in our world, right? But for the believer, death has no power over us. That's why he could say in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? He's taken the stink out of it, you see. And that's why you could also say to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, that, he says there that, that he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, that, that we're saved to life. We're saved to immortality. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they, that they might have it more abundantly. He's, he's come to give you life, you see. I'm saved not only from death and hell, but I'm saved to life and eternal life and immortality. That's what I'm saved to. Notice there in, in uh, verse 9 also he says that, that he was saved and also called to a holy life. Saved and called to a holy life. That's you and me. 
What's God called us to? He's called us to a holy life. And this word holy means set apart. It means that he's, he's taken us apart for himself. It, it's not you know, some kind of halo that's on our head, right? It's that we are set apart to him and for him and by him that we are his. That's why Jesus could say, my sheep, listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. That's what a holy life is, listening to the voice of Jesus, following him, because we belong to him, because we are his. We're set apart to him. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed to say I belong to Jesus. I belong to God because he gave his life completely to me, so my response is to give my life completely to him. That's all I can do. I belong to him. Someone said this, don't be satisfied with a saved soul in a wasted life. Don't be satisfied with a saved soul in a wasted life. I, I read this about Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from England. Uh, he was, let me just read to you what he said. He says, I was years and years upon the brink of hell. I mean, in my own feeling. He said, I was unhappy. I was desponding. I was despairing. I dreamed of hell. My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing that I was lost. He just knew, and he was a young man at the time. And he, he says that he, he was actually christened as an infant. He went to Sunday school. He read the Bible every day and prayed every day. But yet he knew he wasn't, there was something missing in his heart and life. See, to know about these things, to even read about them and stuff, if you don't have it in your own heart and soul, you don't have it. But he was out one day, he was 15, and there was a snowstorm, and he went down this side street. And there was a church there, and he went into this church, and there, there was a, a preacher in there, and, and from, from all that I've read about it, he wasn't all that great either. But he was reading from Isaiah 45, Verse 22, and the verse was this, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no one else. Look unto me, and be saved. And Spurgeon goes on, he says, He had not much to say, thank God. For that compelled him to keep on repeating his text, and there was nothing needed by me, at any rate, except that text. But something interesting happened. He says, then stopping this preacher, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery. And he said, that young man looks very miserable. He pointed him out. Now, I, I don't know if I could do that. Some of you, I probably should point. You look miserable. You need to get saved, right? You need something in your heart and life. I like what Patrick said about carrying the burdens. You know, we're carrying these burdens so often, and it's not just a wheelbarrow, right? You feel, do any of you come in here feeling like you're carrying this huge wheelbarrow full of stuff? Well, you got to get that dumped out. You got to bring it to the cross. We're going to have communion in just a couple of minutes, and you need to bring that. So this preacher, he pointed to him, and, and uh, he said, Look, young man, look now. And Spurgeon says, I, then I had this vision, not a vision in my eyes, but to my heart I saw what a Savior Christ was. 
And now I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw him whom I was to believe than I also understood what it was to believe. And I did believe at that moment. And the rest is what? History, as they say. Charles Spurgeon saw he, he had this need in his life. He, he was doing spiritual things, but there was something needed, and he trusted in Christ. And he was, his life was completely changed, and, and God used him. Don't be satisfied with a saved soul and a wasted life. My question to you, and I'm not going to point at you, is this. Are you saved? Can you say, I'm saved? And really know that, that something's happened in your life. Can you say that? Saved from danger and destruction and death. Saved to life and immortality. Can you say, I'm saved? No, I'm not asking. I'm asking you. I'm not asking you. I'm asking you. See, I'm... Just a few verses, and I, I, um, I don't know if they're the next on the screens or not. Uh, you want to go ahead for me, Dan? Uh, no, keep going. I'm looking for... Keep going. More. There we go. The first one there... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. What does it take to be saved? A theological degree, right? I got to go to seminary before I can get saved. That's what you, you go to some churches and that's the kind of impression you get. Unless you like study for like six years, you're not going to get saved because you don't have a clue what it is, Right? And how many people are going to follow that line of reasoning? Not me. I heard about people who, you know, their lives were changed by Jesus, and, and I wanted it because I was lost. I knew one thing. I was lost. Like Spurgeon says, I was lost. I knew one thing. I didn't understand all that. And so I said, I said God, if you are really like who they say you are, then I'm going to give you a chance in my life. And he came into my life and changed me. And I just called on the name of Jesus. The next slide tells us that there's no other name. This, this is a stumbling block, right, to people around us. Salvation is found in no one else, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other prophet, no other spiritual holy man. There's only one name by which we must be saved. Call on the name of Jesus, that's it. And the last slide I have for you, he says... In Acts 16, they came to Paul, right? And Paul was in jail. He was locked up, right? And, and the jailer came and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. So the question is, are you saved? And the question is, do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted him? Have you invited him into your heart and life? You say, well, I know all this stuff, Rich. You're like preaching to the choir here. Yeah, but I also know that there's a, there's a large world out there around us who don't know these things. And it's becoming less and less and less all around us, people who have no clue what it means that they're going to go to heaven because they believed in Jesus. You and I, 
are the heralds that will bring that message. Or maybe, just maybe, you're here today and you've, you, you know, you know, and you could have been coming here for 15 years. I don't know. But you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior that you might be saved. I, I, uh, I found this, uh, and some of you know about this. Uh, let see if I can find it again here. You've heard of a guy named Bob Dylan, right? He wrote a song called Saved, right? Did you know that? He wrote a song called Saved. In fact, the, the name of the album is Saved. And some of you are going, well, yeah, but what happened to him? Well, when you talk to people and you read uh, what people wrote of those that are close to him, they believe that he, he truly had a, a born-again experience that God changed his life. Now, just because he's not as open and forthcoming about it as he was during that period of time, I think, and there's probably some reasons for that. But let me read to you the words of this song because let, you, you decide. He said, I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. He was dead. He, we're born dead. That's what we've already said. He says, by his grace I have been touched, by his word I have been healed, by his hands I've been delivered, by his spirit I've been sealed. He says, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Now, you just don't go writing words like that if, if there's something not going on in your life there. Bob Dylan, Jewish, of course, coming to Jesus as Messiah. Some more words here. He bought me with a price, freed me from the pit, full of emptiness and wrath and the fire that burns in it. He says, nobody to rescue me, nobody would dare. I was going down for the last time, but by his mercy I've been spared, not by works, but by faith in him who called. For so long I've been hindered, for so long I've been stalled. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. That's powerful. You know, I can safely, you know, say, you know, Bob Dylan, it's between him and God, whatever's going on there. That's, that's between them. But, but these words are powerful because they're right out of this book that we're talking about today, right? I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to have communion right now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up right now. Come on up, guys. And we're going to... Uh, we're going to sing a song as we're passing out the communion. And, and please, communion is not something that's going to get you saved. We take communion because we are saved, because we have made that commitment. Maybe there's another reason you, you might want to not partake today. It's not something you are forced to do. It's not a ritual. But what is it? It's a remembering of what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray first. And then we'll pass out the, the bread and the cup. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, the grace of, of heaven, really, that you sent your son Jesus to be the Savior of the world, that any who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And that so many in this room, Lord, I thank you, that have, have called upon the name of Jesus and, and are saved, that death has no power, death has no sting, 
that heaven is our home. Our citizenship is there. But Lord, perhaps there are, are one or two or more here today who, have ne- who, who don't know, who, who have never entered in and, and don't have this assurance, as Bob Dylan wrote about. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. If that's you today, you can call out to Him right now as we pray, and you can say, Jesus, save me. I call on your name. I, I ask you to come into my life, my heart, and be my Savior today. And then you can partake of the communion and the celebration. Father, we come and we, we bring our lives before you and, and that we would not just be saved, uh, but we would also be living for you. Holy lives set apart as yours, your very own. We live for you. We give our lives committed to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get the uh, communion. You guys want to go ahead and play that song?